One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. The FT. Welcome back to Banking Weekly with me, Charlene Goff. This week, tougher new EU stress tests in question. What we've seen of the plan so far have left the market rather cold by and large, I would say. And leaders move quickly to stem further crisis in Greece, Ireland and Portugal. What they've done is they've decided to increase the current rescue fund from its current level of 250 billion euros to 440 billion euros. Joining me in the studio to discuss these topics are Patrick Jenkins and Brooke Masters. But we'll start the show with stateside. This week, the US banking update comes from Dan McCrum in New York. Over to you, Dan. Thank you, Charlene. Here are the top stories which we had from the banking team last week. We had a very upbeat Bank of America presentation. The Gallon trial opened in New York with some interesting witness testimony. And we found out that the largest bond fund in the world, run by Bill Gross, no longer owns any US government bonds. First, uh, the upbeat Bank of America. In its first investor day since 2007, Chief Executive Brian Moynihan stood up and told the conference he expected a much better performance from the bank in the future. He thinks pre-tax earnings could be in the 35 to $40 billion a year range once the bank gets back to normal after the financial crisis. For comparison, last year the group made about $11 billion in pre-tax earnings, so he expects that broadly to quadruple. In the Galleon trial, this is going to go on for a number of weeks, and it opened with interesting witness testimony from Anil Kumar, the government star witness, the former McKinsey employee, who passed on insider trading to Raj Ranthahan at Galleon, it is alleged. That will continue and should be plenty more to watch from there. And then we discover the largest bond fund in the world, the total return fund PIMCO, run by Bill Gross, had cut its holdings of government-related securities to zero. No more government bonds in there. This follows lots of comments from Bill Gross expecting problems in the bond market when the Federal Reserve stops buying treasuries as it ends its program of quantitative easing in June. Several other notable investors, including those at BlackRock and Western Asset Management, the second and third largest bond managers, notably disagreed, however. And finally, looking ahead to this week, late on Friday, Daniel Mudd, chief executive of Fortress, received a Wells notice from the Securities and Exchange Commission. They're threatening civil charges against him for his time when he was chief executive of Fannie Mae suggesting that he misrepresented the amount of subprime and Alt-A lending which Fannie Mae held on its books at the time. It will be interesting to see how investors and shareholders in Fortress, the listed hedge fund, react this week. That's all. Back to you, Charlene. Thank you, Dan. Let's turn our attention to our first topic for today, EU stress testing. Key parts of the stress test for European banks will be unveiled later this week. Patrick, what should we be learning? On Friday, the European Banking Authority, that's the new pan-European regulator, which is administering these tests, is going to come out with the details of the macroeconomic stresses that it's going to impose on the banks, 88 banks across Europe, just to show really where 
the weaknesses are in the European banking system and where any capital shortfalls exist. On Friday, as I say, they're going to announce those parameters. Then they're going to spend the next few weeks after that actually doing the tests via the national regulators. Then in June, we should get the results. And I guess the weak points would be, uh, you know, as, as in the last round, sort of Greece, Portugal, Spain, maybe... It's going to be interesting to see what the final results are. I think there's a great expectation, actually, that Italian banks are going to look quite weak. Their capital levels are low compared to the rest of Europe. And depending on what the stresses that are imposed are, they could come out badly. And also, there are going to be some Greek banks that haven't yet strengthened capital from last year. Equally, in Spain, some of the cajas that haven't, or savings banks that haven't strengthened themselves, and Irish banks as well. So those are the banks that are not going to surprise the market. Of course, there may be results that do surprise. The key thing, I think, is to be focused on this this Friday is what exactly the parameters are going to be what we've seen of the plans so far have left the market rather cold by and large, I would say. There's certain measures that have been weakened from last year, even, and last year's tests were reckoned to be too soft. In fact, we saw the Irish banking system collapse only four months after having passed them. So I think some of those elements of the test need to be proven to be stronger. And I know, Brooke, you've been taking a look at some of the, the strengthening, if you like, which, um, which has been going on. One of the things they've done to make these tests more robust and hopefully more credible is to address an issue that helped knock over the Irish banks last year, and that's liquidity. The most important way of testing liquidity would be assuming that there was a sovereign shock, but that's politically unpalatable. So they're trying to find another way to get at this issue of whether banks can fund themselves. And so what they've done is look at the cost of wholesale funding and assumed it will rise 125 basis points on the interest rates. And that at least will begin to help assume that one of the stresses is that you can't borrow anymore or, or can't borrow at the same kind of affordable rates. It's not clear that this is a strong enough assumption or a big enough stress, but at least it is attempting to get at the issue. And Patrick, you mentioned that some other areas could even be softer than mm. last year's. I mean, what sort of areas would, would they be? Is that around capital, maybe? It's around a few different areas. The equity shock, so this is the the assumption of what equity markets will do over the next couple of years and what that would do in turn to banks' balance sheets and their holdings of equities is a more benign scenario. It, it seems on average a 15% fall in equity markets as this kind of stress as opposed to 20% last time. So that looks more benign for no particularly explainable reason. The outlook for, for GDP is less severe, although you know the regulators do make the point that's because the outlook for the economy is looking better. So I think that's a fair point. My real objection to the kind of line that stress tests have taken is that it's so focused on this sovereign issue and the attendant macroeconomic risks. The danger is that it kind of ignores other things going wrong in the world. Particularly, there is no central stress included for commodity price changes, for example. And given what's happening to the oil price at the moment on the back of the Middle East and, and Japan, it seems quite a strange stance to take to have such a narrow focus that doesn't factor in any other bad things that can happen in the world. Let's hope that doesn't happen. Exactly. And we'll look forward anyway to more details on that later this week. And isn't the US doing something similar along the lines of stress tests? Yes, it's similar, but um, with a reverse purpose, um, I think, at least from the bank's point of view. There's been over the past couple of months a, a stress test going on. The banks certainly seem to believe that the Federal Reserve will 
conclude that many of them are sufficiently well capitalized that they will be allowed to increase their dividend payments maybe launch special dividends share buybacks this kind of thing so in a sense it's kind of that the US banking system seems to be at the next stage that are at that point where they're so well capitalized that they can start giving money back to shareholders i'm not sure how this fits in quite with the US's pledge to um, make their biggest banks comply with the Basel 3 new capital regulations which are going to require substantially more capital for all banks around the world but we'll see how that plays out. I guess it takes so long for them to get to the point where they can get the next stress test moving that by the time they get there they've almost missed what's happened in the broader markets in that time. That's absolutely right as the always the regulatory danger is that you're chasing the tail from the last crisis rather than moving forward so. Let's move on now to Saturday's meeting in Brussels by European leaders seeking to stop the potential deepening of economic crisis across Greece, Ireland and Portugal. Brooke, you were following this. What happened at the weekend? Well, they held an emergency meeting and shocked just about everyone by coming to an agreement because we all know that the EU is not known for its expeditious work. But what they've done is they've decided to increase the current rescue fund, which is what they use to help in Ireland, from its current level of 250 billion euros to 440 billion euros. And that would make, make it possible probably to bail out a few more countries if things go bad. This basically accomplished by drawing on the stronger economies, Germany, France, with their better credit ratings. They're also moving towards creating a permanent bailout mechanism known as the European Stability Mechanism, which will be able to lend up to 500 billion euros. All of this is supposed to reassure the market and also mean that they have a real kitty with which to step in. There is a big fight going on, however, in that some countries would like to be able to use this fund for a variety of different ways of of propping up an economy, while others, particularly Germany, want it used only to buy bonds from a a country that is in distress. For now, they're sticking with the simpler definition. The markets, as Brooke says, probably are going to be reassured by this. I've certainly got contacted by several investors over the weekend saying that this was great news that this had happened so quickly and you know, new money available and so on, and it should re- reassure bond investors in particular. The only slight question mark seems to hang over what happens to existing bondholders in countries where these kinds of bailout mechanisms are then imposed. Do they become second-class citizens, if you like, and are they therefore more likely to see the value of their holdings haircut? But I think uh, we will watch to see what the finance ministers thrash out over the next couple of days. This kind of fund that you mentioned, 500 billion euros, sounds like a big sum of money, obviously, but would that be enough? I know there were some fears when this kind of fund was first talked about that it would never be the size you know, that, that would be enough to sort of stem any further problems in the future. It's one of those things you don't know how much you need till you yeah. ne- till you need it. It's not clear that it's enough. I think in a full-on crisis where country after country is toppling, nothing is big enough. This one, in a way, is almost preventive. You know, if people believe it's out there, then maybe we don't ever get to the dominoes. Countries that are, are less at risk of a, a financial meltdown, how do they feel about funding this to sort of prop up the riskier countries? It's complicated. I mean, the German public which is frankly the most important country, the German public is not happy at all. This is a political nightmare for Angela Merkel. On the other hand, I think their governments recognize that if the euro goes down, I mean, Germany goes with it. So my sense is it'll be a tough sell. But if there there is a sense that haircuts are imposed and it isn't just, you know, the Germans transferring their money into the pockets of lazy people, it's probably sellable.
regulators in each of the countries have been trying to encourage the financial sector to uh, self-help in a way and we've seen obviously a lot of measures in in Ireland to sort the banks out there but there seems to that seems to not be having so much success elsewhere Patrick you mentioned you did a story this morning on the Greek banks. Interesting developments in Greece probably you know one of the countries where along with Ireland and and Spain as well, where the the banking sector is being urged to reform or being forced to reform. There we've seen an attempt at a merger between National Bank of Greece and Alpha Bank. These are the two of the top three banks. National Bank of Greece is part state-owned and has the wishes of the government behind it, and the government indeed has urged consolidation repeatedly over the past few weeks and months. In quite an unusual outburst, I think, Alpha Bank told us that it was very unhappy with the way this deal had been put together and described the deal as dead now, and that really scotches any hope that this, which would have been one of the biggest consolidation moves possible, is really going to go ahead. I mean, it may be partly game-playing in order to improve terms, but they've used some pretty incendiary language, so I can't see it helping to uh, foster relations and, and lead to more consolidation. So that's bad news, if you like, for the whole restructuring of the Greek banking system and the signal that that sends, I suppose, about Greek restructuring more broadly. Yeah, well, they are having a bit more luck in Spain. We've seen more consolidation there among the Cajas and, and in Ireland as we well. Have. But I mean, in Spain, they've been pretty decisive of late. And we saw last week, again, some more data coming out from the Bank of Spain into exactly the capital shortfall. This is kind of preempting the European stress test, if you like. They, they came up with a figure of just over 15 billion euros that they say the banking sector as a whole needs Eight out of the 12 banks they identified as having a capital shortfall were uh, these CACAS, the so-called savings banks. And I think they're going to move now to force those banks to recapitalise. So they are being pretty decisive and um, showing the way forward, really, for the rest of Europe. Well, that's all we have time for today. All that's left is to thank Patrick and Brooke in the studio and Dan in New York. And to thank you for listening. Banking Weekly is produced by LJ Filichani. Till next week, goodbye. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.